Essentially, Thomas offered able-bodied black men the choice of joining the army, working as military laborers, or signing plantation contracts. Black women, including the families of soldiers, were expected to go to work for northern lessees or for southern planters who renounced their allegiance to the Confederacy. By all accounts, the northern men who leased plantations were an unsavory lot, attracted by the quick profits seemingly guaranteed in wartime cotton production. In the scramble among army officers illegally engaged in cotton deals, and northern investors seeking to pluck the golden goose of the south, the rights of blacks received scant regard. In order to put the system into operation quickly, General Thomas set wages at a low level, seven dollars per month for men, five dollars for women, minus the cost of medical attention and clothing. Even then, many lessees defrauded the freedmen of their earnings. In the winter of 1863-64, the Treasury Department briefly assumed control of the Mississippi Valley labor system, mandated a substantial increase in black wages, and contemplated leasing the plantations directly to the freedmen. The Treasury's regulations complained Alexander Winchell, zoology professor at the University of Michigan, were framed in the exclusive interest of the Negro and in the non-recognition of the moral sense and patriotism of the white man. Professor Winchell had organized the Ann Arbor Cotton Company and sold stock to the university's president, whereupon he received a leave of absence to engage in cotton planting. After a direct appeal to Lincoln, military authority was restored, whereupon Thomas reduced wages even for those blacks who had already signed treasury-designed contracts. As in Louisiana, upon whose labor regulations Thomas now modeled his own, compulsory free labor didn't produce the expected results. The lessees found themselves unable to obtain tools, wagons, or food, all of which were monopolized by the army. They stood helpless in the face of depredations by both Confederate raiders, over a dozen lessees were killed during 1864, along with hundreds of freedmen, and the army worm, an insect named for its resemblance to officers who found ways to appropriate nine-tenths of the crop. Every payday, moreover, seemed to bring disputes with the labor force. The vast majority of the lessees returned home before the end of 1864. Despite local variations in policy, most army officials in charge of wartime labor relations assumed that the emancipated slaves should remain as plantation laborers. Only occasionally did glimmerings of an alternative point of view appear. In occupied Virginia and North Carolina, a few freedmen were settled on abandoned land, and several hundred managed to lease farms in the Mississippi Valley. Often, however, these were merely tiny garden plots on Roanoke Island, North Carolina, one acre per family, to which Black's legal title would prove anything but secure. The largest laboratory in Black economic independence was Davis Bend, 
a peninsula formed by the tortuous course of the Mississippi River, just south of Vicksburg, which contained the huge plantations of Confederate President Jefferson Davis and his brother Joseph. Davis Bend had already been the site of one utopian experiment before the Civil War. Influenced by Joseph's encounter with British socialist Robert Owen, the Davis brothers had attempted to establish a model slave community, with blacks far better fed and housed than elsewhere in the state, and permitted an extraordinary degree of self-government, including a slave jury system that enforced plantation discipline. Other planters mocked Joe Davis's free Negroes, but the system enhanced the family's reputation among blacks. After the war, one group of Mississippi freedmen pressed for Jefferson Davis's...